do in that is really beautiful. And they were trying to capture just this moment, this second, where all the burdens and the fears would, would pass. And that, that on those expressions of delight and joy and surprise. And, and, I, and while I, when I saw that, I thought, you know, I don't want to take away from this project in any way. I have friends, I have a friend right now, an MD Anderson, just went through a serious, serious operation and, uh, with cancer. And so I, I don't want to make light of that. But it just made me think that, that, that ex- they captured the expression that I would hope that every one of us would have the moment that we see Jesus for who Jesus is. And, it, and it's not just a second that our expression changes. It can actually be for the rest of our life here on earth and then for all of eternity. And, it, and it's not just that the carefreeness that they were trying to capture or the, the fullness of life that they felt like they lost. I mean, cancer is not our worst enemy. It's not the worst human condition. There's another human condition that Jesus came to be the remedy for. And it's not just this second that he's the remedy. It's for all of eternity that he's the remedy. And in that, that event, that, that, that wonder, that surprise, that joy, that lifting, all of that, it's not just immortalized in a photo. Again, I don't want to make light of that. I think that's really cool what they did. But immortality is more than a photo on a wall or your picture in a book. It's like it's the real deal. Like forever and ever, our condition is changed. So that's where we're going this morning. This word became flesh and lived among us. And I just, want, I just wanted us to stop and just, well, who is this? Who is this that lived among us? And then as the message says, who just moved into the neighborhood? <laughs> who... Who is this that moved into the neighborhood? Well, we've looked at a couple of aspects of the who. Uh, the Word. The Word uh, lived among us. The, the Word moved into the, the neighborhood. That, that is the one who predates creation. Uh, and really, even the, crea- the Creator moved into His neighborhood. This eternal one. This one who is God, and yet at the same time is distinct from the Father. This pre-existent, resurrected one. This is the one who lived among us. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I, for he existed long before me. The Word lived among us, and that Word was light. The light moved into the neighborhood. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Light, according to the commentaries, is used for the time of salvation for the Messiah. A time of salvation has moved into the neighborhood. 
Messiah has moved into the neighborhood. Light is a term of life in the absolute sense, not as mere existence, but as possibility. It thus denotes salvation. Salvation is moved into the neighborhood. Salvation lives among us. Life, real life, life for eternity, the fullness of life, that's moved into the neighborhood. A life that is this light revealing the attractiveness and dependability of God with a superabundance of grace dispensed freely to humanity. As one of the church fathers said, grace pours forth in ever new streams. Jesus, full of grace and truth, moved into the neighborhood. A light revealing how attractive God is and how dependable God is and then begin to dispense that same attractiveness and that same reliability into the human beings that he created. And there was this never-ending flow of that attractiveness, that dependability pouring into humanity. That's this light. That's what it reveals. Grace has come. Grace upon grace, superabundance, attractiveness, dependability, rolling into humanity. The light lived among us. From His abundance, His superabundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. It's different than the law. The law was given through Moses. We're not back to something coming again that's like that. But God's unfailing love and faithfulness comes through Jesus Christ. Grace, attractiveness, dependability is better than law. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So this life that is a light not only shows us the grace that's pouring into humanity, but he also shows us who God is, a life who lives in the closest communion with God, Jesus on the chest of the Father. That's how close the literal, the bosom of the Father. This tight relationship in in that, that one that lives there. He's entered the neighborhood so that the invisible God becomes visible. This is who's moved into the neighborhood. This who has lived among us. He's the Son of God. He's the monogenes. He's the only unique one. Jesus the only begotten one. And I love these statements, again, out of a commentary. John does not lift the veil of mystery which lies over the eternal begetting. Johannine, that's John's preaching. John's doctrine is designed to awaken faith, not to give a full and systematic knowledge. Because Jesus alone was God's Son before the foundation of the world. 
because the whole love of the Father is for him alone, because he is alone is one with God, because the title God may be ascribed to him alone, he is the only begotten Son of God. The Son of God has lived among us. And that Son of God has invited us to become children of God. Not the same word. Jesus is this distinct, only unique person that came to live among us. As I said earlier, He is the Messiah. John says, this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, Who are you? John the Baptist came right out and he said, I am not the Messiah. But I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testify that Jesus is. Jesus is the chosen one of God. He could have said, Jesus is the Christ. And if he would have said, Jesus is the Christ, he would have been saying, Jesus is the Messiah. Chosen one, anointed one. Christ, Messiah, they're all synonyms. They all mean the same thing. This is the Messiah who's living among us. He's moved into our neighborhood. And then finally, he's the Lamb of God. John says the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John's usage, sin is conceived as a condition and is opposed to truth. My friends, that's where I would go back to the video that we watched. There's there's this condition called sin that's far worse than cancer. Sometimes we, we talk about sin and we just talk about the activities of sin, the things we do right or wrong. That, that we're not talking we're talking about this con- condition. We, we come into this life with this condition. Sin is the reality which, with creatureliness, determines the nature of the world. Our, our world is a world that's characterized by this condition called sin. Essentially, sin is the rejection of the claim of God by self-assertive humanity. We will decide our own destiny. We will be our own kings and queens. We will be our own God. Thank you very much. We'll take care of our own business. We'll treat each other like we want to treat each other, which isn't necessarily always bad, but it can be horribly bad. What sin needs is redemption. And redemption is summed up in the remission of sins. There's only a sacrifice that can end the destructive influence and activity of sin. The Lamb of God moved into the neighborhood to remedy the world of its worst condition. When you put all that together with the question, who who lived among us? Who who became human and lived among us? Who moved into the neighborhood? Then this is what it looks like. The Word, the Light, the Son of God, 
the Messiah, the Lamb of God, and we're not even through with chapter 1 in John. No wonder if we get it, we have this moment of, aha, wow. As I think about our community, I I just have to ask us, you know, how can we resist the attractiveness and the, the total dependability of God? That's who he's showing himself to be. I'm totally gracious towards you. I'm gracious to the point of being attractive. And I can be totally dependent upon. You can rely upon me, God is saying. How can we resist that? How can we not be drawn? How can we have that that moment of, wow! And John is is writing these words and he's giving us this explanation and this description. He's just saying, wake up. Wake up. And he's, he's really crying out to those that were steeped in religion, those that were, you know, following this wonderful law, but were so asleep to the reality of who God is and what God was doing. Are we awake? Are we awake? Are we fully awake to who this is that has entered humanity on our behalf? So I'm concerned about the expression of Christianity in our day because I think it falls back to law. And law just isn't that attractive. When I want to order my society according to the ways that I think it should be, and I I begin to demand that this is the way life should be, because this is the way it's always been, that's not very attractive. But when there's this graciousness that comes across in the way that we treat each other, and we treat everybody we run into, we're just gracious and we're kind and we're patient and we're generous. That's so attractive. And it's not based upon the circumstances of our life. Then I love that expression, grace pours forth in in ever new streams. Grace pours forth in ever new streams. There is not... You know, you help me. If you find it, bring it to me. In the New Covenant, the New Testament, I don't see this warning, you better stop that or grace is going to end. What I see... As long as we are receptive, there is a God who says, I want to just keep dispensing. I've got this this unbelievable storehouse of graciousness, attractiveness, grace, gifts. I just want to keep pouring it into humanity. And everybody that will receive what I want to give to them, I'm just going to keep it going. 
And it's not based upon their behavior. Matter of fact, once I start receiving God's grace, my behavior radically changes because of the graciousness, not the judgment of God. It's the graciousness of God. It's the kindness of God that leads me to change. It's not the judgment. It's not the fear of God. It's the kindness of God. What new stream, what new stream of grace will pour forth this season into your life? There is a never-ending stream of grace. What does He want to pour into our lives in this season? Those who belong to Him, those who belong to Jesus... Those who belong to the king. Again, that's what it means to be a Christian. If you belong to Jesus, if you belong to the king, if you belong to the Messiah, you receive the fullness of his grace. Wow. How wide. I mean, how wide is our heart? Oh, Jesus, let the superabundance of your grace just keep flowing into my life. And see, it comes out in all of a sudden the same attractiveness and the same reliability that God is, we become. Because of His grace in our lives. You see the difference between that and law, regulation? (laughs) So I have to ask us, how awake are we to who just moved into humanity? How curious are we about what new stream of grace is going to flow into our lives? And then how receptive, I mean, how wide open is our heart and our hands to receive what Jesus wants to give us? Can we just kind of get ourselves in that posture? You want to stand with me? I would say that most of us enjoy receiving gifts Some of us are a little broken, and so we have a hard time receiving gifts. And sometimes we pretend like we don't receive gifts. But I think down at the heart of it, we all like somebody handing us a gift and saying, here you go. That's all, that's really all that Jesus wants. He just say, I just, I'll just open up your hands. Open up your hearts. I want to give to you. Again and again and again and again. It's not going to run out. So if it helps you, open up your hands. You know, open up your heart. You know, just open up. Jesus, we recognize that you are the remedy to our condition 
Jesus, you are so much more. <laughs> it just sometimes it's just beyond comprehension of who you are, the Word, the light, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And Jesus, we want to receive from you everything that you want to give us. And so, Lord, our our hands and our hearts are open as a community of people that belong to you. We ask that you would pour into our lives out of the superabundance of your grace, the grace and the truth that is yours to give. Overwhelm us with your graciousness. And would you turn us into attractive and dependable people because that's who you are. And Lord, as you are just just pouring that grace into our lives, we also want to see God for who God is. Let your light come so that 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 invisible God becomes visible to us. And I pray, O Lord, that just as we saw faces change in a second, I pray that we, just our countenance would change because we see God for who God is, revealed by you, Jesus, the light. And finally, Lord, I ask for this season that there would be new streams of grace that would pour forth on us that we never imagined. Lord, let the stream of your grace be poured out in all of our lives. And then, O Lord, let us give away every gift that you give us to those around us. Lord, thank you for this season. Thank you that you lived among us in your name. Amen. It'll be fun to hear from you how, just how he answers that. So just kind of keep him, you know, kind of keep in track. You know, what grace begins to pour into our lives? And let's just share that, okay?